Let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has voracious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship, family. It kills me how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. You feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing, and that's what we have. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee? <laughs> what? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike, and we continue our trilogy this month with the 1983 cult classic Christine by John Carpenter. This might be our first Carpenter movie, um, and, and considering he's a filmmaker that I, I love so much, I'm surprised that I haven't advocated for a film of his sooner. Um, it's a film that I absolutely loved when I first watched it. And then I read the Stephen King novel, rewatched it, and don't love as much anymore. Mm, there we go. No, no, no. But I, I have had a long think on it because I got to rewatch it for this podcast, and I'm I'm kind of back on the 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 film's um, bandwagon, but uh, not quite in the front of the bandwagon. What did you think of Christine, Mike? It was okay. Um, I think this is <laughs> like I I was interested more in the dork, uh, which my Zoom background is <laughs> the moment where the dork gets his best friend, the jock, hurt because the jock during a football game, high school football game, which apparently he's, you know, the, the most gifted or one of the more gifted athletes at the school. He's also the chick magnet. Uh, he's a nice guy because he's best friends with the dork uh, who gets bullied all the time. He takes up for him. <laughs> this dork gets the uh, title uh, vehicle, Christine, uh, restores it. And uh, making out with some tall, beautiful woman <laughs> and his best friend is so surprised slash appalled that he gets clobbered <laughs> trying to make a football play, trying to make a catch, uh, ends up hospitalized and almost paralyzed. Uh, and his football career is over that <laughs> I guess inability of people to move, uh, up uh, in social standing in high school. I thought they had something here. I was not as interested in the car killing people. Uh, I was much more interested in <laughs> get this, cool vehicle and suddenly your life changes and other people even your friends are just like whoa whoa but that's just not how 
things go, like even if good things are happening for you, they're like, there has to be something evil here. <laughs> like things can't be going good for the door. It must be some <laughs> cursed object like that fucking car is killing people. I think I was more interested in that, the psychological impact of this little small town than I was the car actually killing people. And I know that's not the movie. Uh, I've, I had never read the novel. I can't say that it strikes me as that interesting. It's such like a kind of trite, I guess, concept. It's just like evil car that I was never interested in. It's not like Salem's lot where it's going to be like this soap opera with vampires. And so I was never really interested in the movie. So I'm doing a disservice to the film by in my head writing like, Ooh, that would have been a cool way to take it. And it's never, <laughs> never going to be that. And it's really just that one sequence where I was like, man, there is something there. It's for me, it was like, you know, it was fine. It was okay. Entertaining enough, but like, you know, it's not, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I think if they did an updated version, which would probably be trash, uh, it probably would not be good. Probably lean more into the effects, but I, I think doing this is like playing it straight, as like a high school dark comedy, I'd be all over that. Well, uh, I know that <laughs> I guess you just want another Heathers. <laughs> Pretty much. O- almost always, yes. <laughs> but there is a remake on the horizon with Brian Fuller writing and directing uh, for Blumhouse, but we'll see if that ever happens. The film does play around with those uh, high school stereotypes, right? The hot jock, the, the nerdy protagonist, the coveted. Um, tall uh, girlfriend figure that, that they all want the the forty year old bully with the switch knife. Oh, like yeah, you know, we... <laughs> I was giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was thirty five. I'm like, Jesus Christ! I'm like, come on, man. He looks, you know, other than the fact that he's got fantastic hair, um, there's really no, no no way to discern if he's not like faculty. <laughs> like that's that's about it as far as the the wrinkles and you know the sort of drug and you know alcohol induced weathered face that sort of thing um i was looking more at the the idea that and it, it is very high schoolish um there's this blonde girl that is all over the 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 nice jock and he dismisses her as soon as there's something new which is like <laughs> i get come from a small town it's like you could flip these two roles and the blonde could be the new girl. And just viewing them, I don't think we would be like, oh, that one's better. I don't think there is clearly a better. It's just what is new and exciting. Uh, and the fact that this this dork just upends everything. And it is it is so like, I don't know. It's, it's very much like Poochie from The Simpsons. Like the dork's version of cool. <laughs> there's There's some sort of like uncanny valley where it's like. There's something disturbing about this. You fix your hair differently because um, he's not uh, – who is this This actor here? Is it Keith Gordon? Keith Gordon. Whoever the uh, the young lady was from She's All That, he's not her. Where he's not – he was not like a male model that they just put glasses on. Like it's like he was, he's a dork through and through and there's something I, – I understand – the other guys being saying this cannot stand like we cannot we cannot up in the environment like this because uh, then all all of our little rules that we've got in place for our like you know preteens through teen years everything we know is at an end uh, I enjoyed that I think I don't know maybe maybe more Keith Gordon and less Christine the car for me like when it's revealed that Keith Gordon is behind the wheel like towards the towards the end. That's fantastic to me. I'm just not as interested in the car as a personality. 
I don't even know why the car would pick this dude. (laughs) 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 Well, the car didn't. He picked the car, and that's why the car was like, right on. Have some self-respect, Christine. Go for the hot jock. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But but see, let's give Keith Gordon a little bit of a – let's give Keith Gordon some credit. His journey – uh, that he goes on from uh, Arnie going from ugly nerd to cool guy to psychotic killer, I think was very well done. Now, I, I have to take offense a little bit because I, I would not dismiss the novel. I absolutely adore the Stephen King novel, and it's very different. They made a very crucial change. Uh, the movie, the car is bad to the bone right from the opening credits. And that is not the case in uh, King's novel. Uh, One of the things in King's novel that is completely gone in the film is the previous owner is really the one who is is kind of haunting the car, essentially. And there are constant sequences in which uh, he is speaking to Arnie and kind of almost taking over Arnie and... In order to film that kind of stuff, you would have to have like a a, a corpse in the car with Arnie um, speaking to him, is slowly taking him over. But what happened is around that time, an American Werewolf in London had come out, and there were incredible. I think Rick Baker did the special effects, and they had those sequences. And so, in order to separate itself. The screenwriter for Christine decided, well, let's get rid of all of that. Let's get rid of a chunk of what makes Stephen King's novel so great and go a completely different way, which actually is not that bad, I think, in order to keep this a a, 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 a brisk, um, a, a, you know, hour 40 or whatever. You kind of have to do that. You have to get rid of a lot of that mythology. Here's where I get to praise the film and the novel because and also relate it back to one of our favorite films and that's midnight in paris golden age thinking mike remember golden age thinking Mm -hmm. the flaw in the romantic imagination of those people who find it difficult to cope with the present and that's where christine the film and the novel really shine so arnie is this uh stereotypical nerd who he even admits that he's ugly which i'm like well i mean you know you're you're no you're no will divine <laughs> but <laughs> uh arnie can't deal with his reality right he calls himself ugly his parents are overbearing he has no control over his life but christine he sees it as a portal to an earlier time represented by the classic car he can literally be behind the wheel of his own future um, and and uh, the excellent YouTuber Matt Draper, who I, I, I I'm going to champion here, uh, he has a wonderful video on Christine, uh, and he references Jay Hoberman's book, um, where where Hoberman discusses uh, Reagan and the movies of the '80s, and the '80s movies are are a symptom of something, and and Reagan is a symptom too. They all come out of the same social need and nostalgia, right? You're looking back at the '50s. How do we make America great again? Um, and, and this was an issue uh, a uh, reagan was able to conjure up that imaginary version of the 1950s where you ignore mccarthyism the cold war where you ignore uh, segregation korean war and and you use nostalgia you pick and choose what's pleasant about the past so we can forget about the present 
And that's kind of what Arnie is doing, right? He is frustrated with his current life, and so he looks back at a symbol of of that that 50s a classic car and that's what the horror of christine is mike it's the underlying warning of what happens when you choose to be blind to the present uh, you ignore the future and you settle on retrieving to the past and that's kind of what the horror of christine is uh you know for me and i think for a lot of people who are um who consider this a cult classic uh, but that's what, and also Christine is just a cool uh, movie vehicle, right? I think it, I think it's up there. I got news for you, Arnie. You'd have been George McFly in the fifties. You'd have the same <laughs> plight. <laughs> a dork is a dork is a dork. I don't care what decade, <laughs> what what century. <laughs> you'd have the same problems. <laughs> now, Christine, Christine is different. The car, yeah, is Christine. It was interesting to me. The sort of like he, he I think he says what uh, I don't know if he uses the word vintage or not, but he talks about like, well, it's been 20 years since this was antique. Know, I think antique. antique. Yes. This. Uh, and so it's an antique now. Uh, and sure, when he gets it, when he buys, what is it for? Two hundred fifty dollars, three hundred, two hundred fifty. <laughs> the uh, I, I believe it is the neighbor from Home Alone who passes on this curse to this kid. Uh, <laughs> and so that, that guy has been terrorizing youth across <laughs> cinema. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you in the seventies, late seventies, would this be seen as a cool car? Cause if, if this guy had this car like today, or we can go back to the late nineties, he'd be Josh Hartnett and the faculty. He'd be like, Ooh, who's where? Like, he has a classic car that he like built himself. That sort of thing. like that may work, may may work. He, he's not getting this this tall drink of water. He's not getting this lady. That's it's not going to work that much. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to move into like five, six, seven territory, I think. But the way that the car is dismissed here, I you know what? <laughs> this is a strange conversation because what you mentioned about King's novel. Like just ran all through me because I'm like I don't like that either. I was like I'm not about. (laughs) I am not about removing the agency of the Christine character of the vehicle. I don't like her chosen, uh, you know, life mate, her partner, and this dork. (laughs) I don't like the book version where it's like I assume like is it a man that uh, was haunting this car and taking over? I like the idea of, of a car being like I'm going to pick. Who drives me? <laughs> and if you don't meet my requirements, I will choke you to death in this car on a sandwich. <laughs> like, the problem I have with Christine is Christine, the car, settled. <laughs> I think, she, I think she, she was used and abused, left in a lot with Kevin McAllister's serial killer neighbor. And then she's like, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll sell myself for 250 to this mathlete. And then, no, Christine... Should have got to the drive-in, choked Arnie, taken the girl, and the girl takes, <laughs> takes the car, and then it becomes Thelma and Louise. That is one aspect of the film that I wish it leaned into a little bit more. Uh, essentially, it's kind of like a, a love triangle, right? It's a three-way yeah, between yeah, yeah. Arnie, mm-hmm. Christine, and Lee, I think the character. Um, and then you've got his uh, buddy, Dennis. Uh, as well there kind of I wish it leaned into the relationship of the characters a little more because it just seemed to me like the film glosses over a lot of the time spent between Arnie and Christine I would have liked to seen Christine 
turn Arnie a little bit more, all of a sudden you have a bunch of scenes being like, boy, Arnie's spending a lot of time with Christine. And so you have these characters saying that, but you don't see that time spent. I wanted to see that time spent. And the stuff that you do when you see them together is wonderful. That that awesome scene where he's like, okay, show me. And so it's essentially like a love scene between the two of them. I wanted more of that. Oh, the special, and the special effects, they're brilliant. Oh, that was a cool sequence. It's effectively like a... Uh... A striptease in reverse, where it's like, yeah. you know, show me who you are, that sort of thing. Like, very cool. I mean, I'm not saying that we go so far as to our last cinema speculation. You know, please check out those episodes on Patreon, Rolling Thunder. We don't need a sequence with Arnie at the drive-in with <laughs> uh, Air Force Major Charles Rain and Travis Bickle all in their cars. <laughs> just... <laughs> Just dudes with their dicks out just at the drive-in <laughs> watching Deep Throat together. We don't need that. But that particular sequence was kind of sexual in nature or like extremely flirtatious. It was uh, a way to seduce, I guess, one another. Um, I enjoyed that. I, I It is strange. Like I, I thought the premise was stupid. So that's why I stayed away from the film and the book. And yet here I am on this podcast – being like, Christine needed more of a voice. Christine needed to be more of an active participant, not just a weapon of vengeance. Uh, yeah, I, I I, enjoyed actually the opening where it's just this, you know, I guess you can go back and say like, you know, when if you're using the sort of like Reaganomics there when it's like, you know, when Americans made American things that they cared about, you know, it's that, that craftsmanship. Like I only I'll only buy American because that means obviously better. Um, it is cool to see that this thing that is made supposedly with care not keep in mind on an assembly line as we see it chooses to be an individual not just one of many and only not only that but is going to pick the partner that it wants for itself not just anyone not anyone that just sits in there good lord on the assembly line like you're almost finished with the thing gets in with a cigar and just starts like chomping stuff like that dude deserved it. <laughs> like, not only just written up and reprimanded at work, but I understood Christine being like, I am fresh into this world and I'm going to tell you right now the things I won't accept. I really enjoyed Christine as a character and just wanted, wanted more of maybe not the why, but just wanted more of the personality of the vehicle that was not just used for set pieces, I guess. I mean, that is something that I think comes across because even John Carpenter, he was reeling from the box office bomb that was the thing. You know, people had gotten uh, their their E.T. on and they were like, no, 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 not that kind of alien. We want this kind of alien. And so he has stated that uh, Christine, the movie, he's like, it's not that frightening. Uh, It's just something I needed to do at the time. So he's work for hire, essentially, which which kind of... um, Makes me sad because I think had he kind of gone all in, um, I think we we would have gotten uh, some 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 death sequences that would have been a little more dynamic. Um, I, I did enjoy the um, implied horrors of some of that stuff, like the the, the kid getting um, cut in half. I guess I mean nice to see Harry Dean Stanton describe all that, but I think um, we we got a kind of half hearted attempt by carpenter here i tell you what when harry dean stanton uh approaches king dork uh like hey you know (laughs) your car doesn't make any fucking sense like i got everyone around town saying it was vandalized and you're like yeah i just found some paint 
<laughs> down the road and just you know, happen to find this door. Isn't that crazy? And he's inspecting it, and he's like in front uh, of the hood of the vehicle and sort of like kneeled down, just and the kid, like presumably the kid starts revving up the engine. Uh, or if Christine's doing it, the kid takes credit for it. Like looks at him like, "Hey, you're gonna get the fuck out of my way." And <laughs> like, I don't know the restraint that this character played by Harry Dean Stanton shows to look at fucking Poochie the dog, mean mugging me saying, get out. Like there's a whole sequence where he drags that kid out and just beats him senseless. Like, I don't know if that's watching too many of the Tarantino movies for some <laughs> speculation. I'm just expecting violence at every turn. <laughs> Well, if only there were more teachers like the one in shop class who would harangue their students physically. <laughs> Maybe this would have been a different film and ended up on Tarantino's list of movies, which he considers to be a seminal. Let me let me ask you. Um, so I, I, I since I stayed away from this, was this seen as a success or a successful King adaptation? Because, you know, most of them, unless they're. You know, the Shawshank Redemption or the more recent, I guess, It uh, films are not seen as successful in any regard, either financially or critically. Was this one, like, well-received? And, and, you know, is it still well-regarded? Uh, it's a cult classic status. The people who like it really like it. Um, it was a modest hit. Um, like low budget. I, I think it made, like, 20, 21 million uh, from a budget of, like, 9 or 10. So, modest, but... It has grown in in people's reverence for it. So uh, that's kind of where it is. I would say it is one of the more successful King adaptations because you've got crap like Dreamcatcher, you know. And, and so uh, stuff that even King is like, yeah, I didn't like that novel. And, you know, when you've written as much stuff as he has, you can, I guess, afford to be like, ah, yeah, I was really on drugs during that time. And not, not one of my favorites. And just... Tommy Knockers, I think, is another one. So, because he has so many adaptations, I would say, yeah. Uh, and and in the in the public consciousness, I would say the movie is more regarded, like or more well known. Uh, when I talk to people about Christine the novel, very few people know what it is. But if I mention Christine the movie, at least they'll remember. Oh, the killer car, the evil car. So, is that a reflection of the quality of this movie? Which I, you know, I, for the most part, like. If I was going back, you know, and watching the films of 1983 and I got to this one, I would probably find this to be a pleasant diversion. Like, I, I would like to, like, a good piece of entertainment. Is that a reflection of the quality of Stephen King film adaptations, that this one rises to the top? And <laughs> as far as his written works, it is not, you know, the stand, obviously, uh, for one. I mean, do you think that plays a part of it? Because I, I don't think Carpenter did a bad job. I think it's the... I think he makes a pretty entertaining film. Like I'm sort of nitpicking because uh, there's just, I feel like a lot you could, as you said, could have gone further with this, but I don't think there's really anything inherently wrong with the film, but I do think <laughs> part of the Stephen King movie, uh, not even mythology, I guess, well, just the flat out reality of them is that I come into this thinking like, Oh God, <laughs> like what, <laughs> what is this going to be? And I do think Carpenter elevates it to a point. Uh, so much so that like he does such good work that as I'm watching it, my expectations rise. Like, oh, if you're doing this, then you could go, you could do this next. You could go further with it. Uh, I certainly had no expectations when I when I started it. Like, where do you think this one ranks as like a Stephen King movie? Like, you you get rid of your your Shawshanks, 
Um, you know, certainly your your Doctor Sleep, which you know you and I are big fans Ooh. of. But like, I mean that that's a that's a modern day masterpiece for me. It, it genuinely is. So let's go go to like the '80s Stephen King film adaptations. What's the best one? Well, specifically in the '80s, you've got oh, well, The Shining, Cujo, Dead Zone, Christine. Wow, three in one year. Cujo, Dead Zone, Christine, all 1983. Uh, Children of the Corn, Firestarter, Stand by Me, Running Man. So that's the '80s. Uh, I mean, it's hard to top The Shining. And again, with me, it's tricky. I think if I've seen the film first, I usually end up liking the film more than the novel. Um, this is a rare case, I think, in which I thought the novel was much better because it just expands. Because the thing is, it's very different. The Shining, very different than the novel. I appreciate both of them separately. Um, but I, I think, I'm obviously, I'm going to give the edge to the Kubrick classic. Uh, with something like Doctor Sleep, I think the movie is actually better because of the differences that um, Kubrick uh, decided on. Um, but from this list, outside of The Shining, even I don't have that much love for The Dead Zone, even though it's it's another David Cronenberg classic. Uh, people really seem to dig that one, especially his fans. Yeah, that one seems to have been uh, better received critically um, than than this one. But and and actually, Stephen King loves it too. He loves that adaptation. Oh, okay. Um, so that's the the polar opposite of his uh, views on uh, The Shining. Yeah. So it is interesting. I actually thought there would have been more 80s material, but really not that much other than this <laughs> 1983 year. Um, and I know Children Children on the Corn has its fans, and certainly Stand By Me. I would say Stand By Me and The Shining are probably the, the two that still sort of remain as classic films. Um, maybe it was the nineties. The I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm influenced by my age that it was the nineties, like ABC miniseries stuff that yeah. <laughs> sort of lowered the bar a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, because again, the big hit was Carrie, right? Carrie was the first one that kind of really kicked everything off. And then it got to the point where his work was optioned for film rights, like even before it ever came out. Like he he kind of set a standard, um, and so and you know what? Let's also give uh, some credit to Creepshow. That was 1982, and a script that he actually penned. It's not an adaptation, but it's like an original work. And so you you and I, I think, on record, our history has shown like we we both dig Creepshow quite a bit. Was that the first thing we ever uh, podcasted on together? That is the first one. That is yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. I absolutely adore. Absolutely adore uh, that film for for that reason. I think more so than the content of the film, but it's a, it's a great movie too. Um, no interest in in pursuing Creepshow two or the TV show. <laughs> I'm gl I'm glad we did this uh, because I don't know if I would have ever gotten around to it uh, otherwise, and I enjoyed it. Uh, it was not the film in my head, but a credit to the filmmakers that. They inspire enough interest. I was never not engaged. Um, so even though I was somewhat disappointed in the end result, uh, I came in with zero expectations. So it's hard to say I was disappointed when I thought this is going to be mostly trash. And uh, I got a little bit of spice and flavor to it. And uh, I will always be haunted by the image of this dork making out this beautiful tall woman <laughs> from the car and almost paralyzing his friend because of it. <laughs> 